Good morning, everyone. Put me down a little bit. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter number 9. We did a series on Daniel some months ago. We did about a dozen or so sermons, but we skipped over this chapter, didn't touch on it. So, Lord willing, we can excavate some of the riches from the ninth chapter of Daniel So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read a few verses to get this story. It's a long story, but verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylon kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scripture, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with Him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God, and I confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant of love and mercy for all who love Him and obey His commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked. We've rebelled. We have turned away from Your commands. We've not listened. To your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings. Jumping to verse 17. All through those verses, 6 to 6, 7 to 16, Daniel's just pleading and confessing the sin of the people, acknowledging God's righteousness and his dealings with his people. They got what they deserved. And now, verse 17. Now, our God, hear the prayers and the petitions of your servants. For your sake, O Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, don't delay because of your city and your people bear your name and While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God from His holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I'd seen earlier in the vision, came to me in swift light about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he instructed me and said, Daniel, I have now come to you to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. We'll use as a title this morning, A Model for Effective Prayer. A Model for Effective Prayer. Daniel was such a man of effective and powerful prayer, and as we study episodes in his life, we can learn how to apply them to ourselves. Not long ago, we preached a series from this book, and um, we passed over the story, so the prayer is this morning that God would help us to glean these precious lessons and truths from this incident in his life. Daniel, as you know, was just a boy, just a teen, when he was taken and brought to Babylon, when King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem and deported the best and the brightest to serve in his kingdom, to brainwash and use for his government. But while he was there, God blessed Daniel. In fact, in Babylon, God gave Daniel important places of service under four different rulers. He served in the king's court most of his life. For over 60 plus years, he was known for his character, his inspiring courage, his non-wavering convictions, unyielding when it came to the law of his God. In fact, the very first chapter, we read how Daniel, just as a teenager, he made up his mind or a purpose in his heart not to defile himself with the king's temptations and the king's luxuries and how God honored those convictions. As just a teenager, as God honored those convictions. And we see throughout Daniel's life, he is a wonderful example of living for God in the enemy's land, of staying faithful to the Lord, even though the culture and the area was not serving the Lord. Daniel is a wonderful example of being in this world, but not of this world. He was revered for his wisdom and his insight, his skill at interpreting dreams, that of governing and administration, 
In fact, in his prime, he, he ran an empire. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But Daniel, beyond all those nobling, noble and inspiring traits, he was a man of prayer. And that's what we want to focus on. He was a man of prayer. It was his custom, an uncompromising custom, from his youth to the end of his days, to seek the Lord. One time it got him thrown in the lion's den, but he wouldn't waver from faithfully and consistently seeking the Lord. So Daniel 6 chapter, it says when they made it illegal to pray that Daniel, he went up to his room and he opened those windows facing towards Jerusalem and he got down on his knees and not once, not twice, not under the cover of darkness, but three times a day when all could see, he thanked the Lord of heaven and called upon the God of heaven just as he had done before, as his custom was. It was something he developed early on and it never wavered from his life. Daniel was a man of consistent and faithful prayer and that made him the man that he was. Daniel's example should inspire us to pray and also teach us that our prayers have the power to change history. Like Daniel's, our prayers have the power to change history. You're here today because somebody prayed for you and it changed your history. You're here today, whether you were a child or running crazy, you're here, somebody prayed for you, and it changed your history. And from this man of God's prayer, let us glean some insights for effective prayer. We'll break up our thoughts this morning. The problem, the praying, and the power. The problem, the praying, and the power. The problem we see in the first couple of verses, Daniel now is in his mid-80s. served God a long time. He had governed a long time. And he's studying the prophecy of Jeremiah. No matter how old you get, you never get too old to read your Bible. No matter how long you've been in this thing, you never know, you don't know enough to stop reading that book. That book is the bread of life. Amen? And either that book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from that book. But either way, we need, we need the Word. And so Daniel, as he's studying the prophecies of Jeremiah, he sees that the time of the nation's captivity or chastisement was coming to an end. That was an exciting word. It was an exciting revelation that he got as he read. He understood now why God had dealt with the people. They had rebelled. They had refused to hear the voice of the prophet, to obey the teaching of the priest. Their leaders were corrupt and not leading them in righteousness. They broke the covenant of the Lord again and again. They ran after the gods of the other nations. They brought upon themselves what they were enduring. But now it was time for that chastisement to come to an end. It was time for its completion. And God wanted to start something new. I thank the Lord this morning that He's a God of new beginnings. I thank the Lord this morning that you might have started bad, but you can finish good if you get a hold of the Lord. Can you say amen? Oh, Daniel. Daniel understood it was time to pray, to come into agreement with God, to walk with God and wrap arms of faith around the will of God, that the people in the city could be restored and revived once again, that the glory that had departed would come back once again. Daniel understood from the Scripture that it was God's will and it was God's time it had come. Daniel understood, therefore, the proper course of action was not just to say, yippee, that's a nice promise. I'll, I'll go discuss it with someone. Or, oh, that's nice. I'll just go about my business and let God. No, no. He understood that revelation must have a response. That as God reveals His Scripture, it calls me to respond. When you understood one glad morning the truth of salvation, you didn't close the book, but you responded to that truth, and that made all the difference. Others might have rejected it. Others might have ignored it. They didn't enter into it. They didn't receive it. But when I receive revelation from the Word, it's not so I can say that's nice, but it's so that I can respond to that Word properly as God intends. So Daniel understood God's will and time had come. He understood the proper course of action, therefore, was to align his faith in prayers and to work or cooperate with the Lord that His promise would be fulfilled. You see, God has designed that His kingdom works by prayer. God made the rules and the laws of His kingdom. But the law of asking and receiving, that Jesus said, we are to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
that there is a part and a principle, there is a law in God's kingdom that we must ask to receive. Asking humbles us, but asking glorifies God. Asking means I must confess I need God, but in asking, He grants the request and that glorifies heaven. God has designed His kingdom to work this way. The missionary statesman and educator E. Stanley Jones, speaking of prayer, he said, Prayer is surrendering to the will of God and cooperating with that will. He says, If I throw out a hook from my boat to the shore and I pull, I don't pull the shore to me, I pull me to the shore. When I'm praying, it's not so much God give me this and God do that, but it's recognizing the will of God. It's understanding the purpose of God and praying His will to fulfillment in the earth. Number one, we see this is the trouble. Three problem, the problem, three thoughts. The trouble, number one, the people, the nation have been deported, destroyed, the city laid waste. They're captive in a place, in a condition they brought upon themselves. That's the trouble. But the time, the time is praise God. God was saying, now it's my time. It was God's time to forgive. It was God's time to restore. It was God's time to reclaim and rebuild His city and His people. And has as God had come, as God's time had been announced, therefore it was up to His people to respond to that word. The prophet Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while He will be found. Hosea said, It's time to seek the Lord until He comes. The Apostle Paul writes to us and says, Today is the day. Now is the time of salvation. It's time not to think about it. It's time not to just debate about it. But it's time to hear the Word and respond to that Word. To understand the Scripture and live in accordance with that Word. The time. It was God's time. God said, I will to save you. I will to heal you. I will to do a fresh work in you. I will to use your efforts to touch you. I will to get you out of that financial. I will move in your life to rebuild and reclaim what's been lost, to restore what's been broken. When God's time comes, God's people must redeem the time, respond to that time. Make the most of that opportunity. When God speaks to us, we have to respond. When our faith is stirring within our heart, it's time to respond. When God speaks to you through His Word, it might challenge your faith to believe. Go ahead and believe. It might challenge you to lay something down. Lay it down. You might be in, a, in, a, in, the, in the sanctuary and you hear the voice of God through the prophetic and God says, that's for you. Move on it. You might hear the word of the Lord and God says, that's for you. I want you to believe for that. But when I hear the word of the Lord and I recognize the quickening of the Spirit that now is the time, it's then my duty to respond. It's then up to me to say, yes, Lord, I believe, I obey, and I walk out on that word. Don't be too busy. When God says it's time, you might not hear that call again. Don't let anything, don't let others keep you from responding. Don't let the fear of man keep you from responding. Don't let the cost, it doesn't cost nearly as much as not responding. Don't let the cost, don't let the challenge, but come and call and respond by faith. Underneath the problem, we see the trouble of the time. And here's the temptation. Didn't even get started. I'm warm already. Good Lord. The temptation when we hear a word from God. The temptation when we're facing a problem and God brings forth a word that's a good word, but yet a stretching word. A word that's calling me to move, to change, to respond. The, the, the temptation, number one, is not to believe the word. To simply say, yeah, I've tried before and it didn't work out. Or things will never change. Or it's always been like this. Or, or it's, that's just too good to be true. So there's a temptation not to believe. But then there's also a temptation not to respond. Some reason, well, you know, if it's the will of God, it'll just work out. But that's not how Daniel or Elijah or Moses or the apostles, that's not how the Bible teaches us to respond. 
Daniel teaches us here that we have a role to play in seeing God's will done and seeing God's sovereign promise come to pass. Hebrews 4 and 2 gives us a good illustration of the Old Testament believers that had the wonderful promise of God, the will of God, the the yearning of God to bless them, and they heard it, they understood it, but they failed to respond to it. So even though they had a word from God Himself who cannot lie, who is fully able to do everything He says He will do, because they chose not to respond, just admonishing the word, just acknowledging the word, just recognizing, yet God's turn me doesn't do us any good until faith responds with an obedience. It might be to pray. It might be to step out. It might be to surrender. The Bible says, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. That Old Testament, they had a gospel that said there's a promised land with your name on it, and it's a good land, it's a blessed land. You don't have to worry about being a slave in Egypt anymore. You don't got to worry about the subpar conditions of a desert. I've got milk flowing. Oh, man, honey's coming out of a rock. It's for you. I'll give it to you. They heard it, but because they were afraid of what they saw, they didn't respond to the word. They rejected instead of responding, just as they did. But the message they heard, the the word they heard, the revelation they received, was of no value to them. One one writer said, it did them no good. Why? Because they heard it, not combining it with faith. Because those that heard it, I think the King James says, they didn't mix it with faith. So it's not enough just to hear what the Word of God says. You can hear John 3.16 until you go you know, into internal darkness. You, you can hear the promises of healing or deliverance or the wonderful baptism in the Holy You can hear it. You can know it. You can teach it. But if you don't combine it with your faith, it will ultimately do you no good. But you won't receive the blessing thereof. Can you say amen? Because some will read it in the Bible and they think that's good. Listen, you have to respond to the Word of God. Some things you have to pray through to see come to pass. Not everything is just case sarah, sarah. Well, if it's God, no, no, no. He's not willing that any should perish, but many are. But He's willing to save whosoever will. There has to be a response to the good news. The loving Gospel. Oh, blessed be His name. There's the problem. Now here's the prayer. Here's the prayer. Daniel responds again. How did Daniel respond? He prayed. He recognized. God gave me this revelation. Not so I can just talk about it or say, isn't that sweet? But that I can enter in to the spiritual battle and pray that it comes to pass. Let's note how this man of God, so known and recognized by his effective prayer life, communicates with God. We're talking about prayers that change history. Prayers that impact eternity. If we're going to be such men and women of prayer, the first thing we have to recognize is we must have the custom or the discipline or be men and women devoted to prayer. Prayer has to be part of our lifestyle, not just 911 in case of emergency break glass. Come on, say amen. Colossians 4 and 2. Colossians 4 and 2. Here's just something for all of us. If we're going to enter in to really powerful prayer, it won't come just when we pray every time the kid is doing bad. We need to pray consistently and passionately day by day that there be a revival, that there be awakening, that something, oh my goodness. Paul writes, devote yourselves to prayer. Prayer is to be a devotion, being watchful and being thankful. The New King James will say, continue earnestly in it. It's something I continue in. It's not just, oh, I've got problems, better pray. And then after that, I just coast. But part of my daily Christian discipline as a disciple, I draw near to God and God draws near to me. I pour out my heart to God. I understand that it's will that none perish. I know one thing, that means He doesn't want my family perishing. Can you say amen? 
So each day I'm praying, oh God, let them know you. Let them be on fire for you. Let them walk close to you. That's what we're talking about here. Amen. Uh, I got a revelation. You, you want marriages healthy. Lord, let us have a healthy marriage. Let's, let's, let's be good a witness. You want me to be a witness? Help me, Lord, to be a good witness on that job. You want me to be salt and light? Lord, help me, Lord, to, to be a lighthouse for now, verse 2, we noted how Daniel was a man of prayer. Prayer was a vital part of his life. But so was the Word of God. The Word and prayer must work together. Look, look at verse 2 there. Look, let, let's look at that together. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scripture, according to the Word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, the Word and prayer work together. In fact, the early church, Acts 6 and 4, one of, the, one of the requirements of leadership was that they have to spend their time in prayer and ministry of the Word. And these two things are like a dynamic duo to see God's blessings and God's answers come to pass. Daniel read what God had said. Daniel read what God had to say. And it moved him to pray. Revelation brings response. His prayer was motivated. It was inspired. It was ignited by the Word of God. And when we read the Word, it ought to stir us to pray. When we read the Word and understand the will of God, it ought to move faith to say, God, let it be. God, bring it to pass. God, that's your will. Bring it to the earth. Whether it's a promise, whether it's a warning, whether it's a revelation or an instruction, prayer grows out of feeding on the good book, on God's book. It's not only motivates us to pray, but it directs us how and what to pray for. Again, prayer is not trying to get God to change His will and line up with me, but it's me trying to believe God that His will would be done in my life and in my earth. You see, the Scripture directed Daniel. It motivated Daniel, but then it directed Daniel. The revealed will of God to Daniel directed him so he could pray accurately, not just loudly. So he could pray in a line and in agreement with the will of the living God that he might be able to answer into the burden, and into the battle of God. Our prayers, as we feed on the good book, as we allow the Bible to really be our bread of life, our prayers should be prompted by the Word. Our prayers should then be directed by the Word. Our prayers, of course, will be empowered by the Word. Our prayers actually can be measured by the Word. For if I'm praying something that's not in line with the Word, I need to change my praying that it would be in alignment so God can answer that prayer. You see, God knows the plan. And when He reveals the plan, He expects us to pray and labor that the plan would come to pass. That we would come into agreement with the living God. That we would enter into the burden and into the heart of the living God. And we would work with God to see His will be done. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. The importance of the Word. As I read the Word of God, it will stir me to pray. When you read the Word, faith comes alive. And you begin to see, God, this is you. A Father, do it. Father, this is your will. It's not happening. Father, do it. So it, it motivates me to pray, but it directs me to pray. It shows me the will of God. It reveals to me what God wants to do. But as I pray, it also energizes my faith to continue on. Faith comes by hearing that Word. And I might look in the natural. I don't see it yet, but the Word says keep plugging. There might be resistance and opposition, but the Word says keep believing, keep trusting. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Now, it's not going to say because we're, we're pitif pitiful, pathetic creatures, but my confidence... In approaching God is this, if I ask anything according to His will, I'll find His will in His Word. Come on. I'll find His will in His Word. So the more I know of the Word, the more I'll know of His will. 
the, the will of God is not some mystery. I don't have to sit around trying to work up some kind of spiritual frenzy to get a word from God. Open up the good book. Thank God He gave us a book. Come on with me. Thank God we have a word from heaven that I can know His will and circumstances, that I might pray accurately and confidently, expecting that if God said it, He'll do it. If God spoke it, He'll bring it to pass. That I can pray, not wondering if it be Thy will, but I can clearly say, It is written! It is written! The will of God is! Oh God! Let it come. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, then get ready, get ready. Get ready to receive. Get ready for it to break forth. Get ready for that thing to loose its hold. Get ready for that wall of opposition to come crumbling down. Get ready for that spirit of confusion to be thrown out and the peace of God that passes all understanding to descend and abide and take root. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask is according to His will. We know, we know, we know that we have what we ask. We believe it's coming. We're expecting it to break forth. So we continue on and continue on with faith and expectancy, praising Him, thanking Him, believing God. The importance of prayer being Word-inspired and Word-directed. Again, the Word of God should inspire us or motivate us, move us to pray. It stirs my heart as I begin to read and feel the burden of the Lord. When I read, it's His will that none perish. It moves me to pray for the lost and to pray for that missionary. To want to re- win a soul in my, my world. To give like I've never given before. To be willing to go. When I read about His love for children and the orphan and the widow, it gives me a heart to want to be compassionate. And show hospitality and benevolence to the hurting. Because that's the will of God, you see. And I pray for them. Extra prayer and extra grace. It's the Word that inspires me to pray, but then directs me how to pray. That's why we're studying these prayers. These are prayers God honored. This wasn't some crackpot writing a paperback book that, that, you know what I mean, that had three wives. I'm I'm coming from the book here. We're going to God's Word. What kind of prayers did God honor? Let's go to the source here. Amen? Directs us. Guides us to pray accurately. The Word allows me to measure my prayer to make sure I'm praying in line with God. You know, you've got to pray in line with God. How many know that? You can get in a lot of trouble if you don't pray in line with God. You know, you get things out of order. We don't pray in line with God. A lady came up to Brother Shambach one time and said, uh, Brother Shambach, pray for my son that God fill him with the Holy Ghost and save him. He said, darling, if God does that, he'll blow up. Amen. You can't put this new wine in old wineskins. You, you can't get filled until you're saved. Amen. She said, fill him and save him. You can't get filled until you're saved. But you know, people pray some silly prayers. They pray prayers that are not in line with the book. And then they wonder why they're crying and they're weeping, they're moaning and groaning. Why it's not being answered? Well, one thing, I want to make sure I'm praying accurately according to thus saith the Lord. Somebody say amen. How do I do that? Study the book. How do I do that? Don't call prayer line. Read the book. Hallelujah. The Word of God inspires to rest. And the Word of God energizes me. Because typically the prayer doesn't come overnight. How many know that? The answer doesn't come. That, that knucklehead doesn't get saved overnight, unfortunately. Sometimes it's years of crying and weeping and praying. And when you want to give up, the Word inspires you. Believe on. When you think and you see it, it'll never change out there. The Word encourages you. God is faithful. Believe on. Pray on. The dynamic duo of the Word of God and prayer. That'll bring blessing into your life and make your life effective and fruitful for the kingdom. So again, the prayer and word. The word of God moves us to pray, directs us as we pray, and energizes us while we pray. That's what helps us to refuse to stop, to give in. 
but to continue on for the glory of God. Number one, we see the importance of prayer in the Word. But now in verse 3, we see the focus, the fervency, and the self-denial all in part of Daniel's prayer. Look, look at verse 3 with me. After Daniel understood the revelation from God's Word and knew what he must do, so I turned to the Lord. Who do you turn to when you get the revelation? Who do you turn to when you get that bad report? Who do you, oh, yeah, turn to the Lord, turn to the Lord, turn to the Lord. Don't pass, go, don't go to God. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with Him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and in ashes. New King James says, I set my face to seek the Lord. I turned to, and I pleaded. So great and so deep was His concern for the people of God and the glory of God and the healing of God's city that He pleaded with God. And when you study the Scripture, men and women that were noted for effective prayers, you'll see there was a seriousness and an earnestness, an intensity, a steadfastness, a determination in their prayers. They overcame the battle that went long. They overcame the discouragements. They overcame the distractions and the oppositions of men and demons. We see here in Daniel a passionate perseverance in his prayer and the willingness to deny self in order to see God's will done in the earth. Now, that's the part we lose a lot of people. If it's uncomfortable, we, we lost our faith there. We, 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 we can shout as long as everything's good. I know, I know it's easy to just say, I got it. You've been saying that and getting nothing long enough. Sometimes you just got to pray through and get some tenacity until you see it. Come on, say amen. There was passion in this prayer. There was an earnestness. We understand James 5 and 16. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We understand that. The scripture is clear. The fervency of praying and meaning business when we pray. But there's also the note here, and I'll just take the fasting and the ashes and sackcloth. The ingredient of self-denial in order to see the will of God done in the earth. If you've ever read Christian biographies, men and women that have opened up nations that were closed and dark for a thousand years, they gave of themselves. They sacrificed their comfort. Some of them sacrificed their lives to do the will of God, to see the glory of God. Men and women who God used to see mighty breakthroughs in cities and in the hard spiritual cases were those that knew how to long in the night pray, respond when the Spirit would wake them up in the early hours. They'd give themselves again and again with a determination and a sacrifice that would set aside the natural comforts and these temporal things to press in and join in the burden and the battle of God all for the glory and the will of God to be done in the earth. Look if you would at Colossians 4 and verse 12. We, we don't bring this out a lot on Sundays, the prayer group, the prayer meeting on Tuesdays. We, we go over this a lot. But I want you to see something here. It's very important. Paul, one of Paul's right-hand men, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. Look how Paul describes this man of God. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. I don't know if you ever wrestled before, but wrestling's exhausting. Wrestling hand to hand, I mean, it is exhausting sport. When, when you're done, they just about put you, will drag you off. I mean, it's an exhausting thing. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully. He didn't just say, "I claim it; it's done." He didn't say, "I believe in God and go about watching three more hours of TV." But Paul and the Bible has so put in the Scripture here that we would understand one aspect of effective prayer that God honors and God applauds is a prayer that understands how to, how to, how to wrestle, how to... Um, oh, let's see. How, how did he write that there? Um, the New King James would say, laboring 
fervently laboring. There's an aspect of prayer that's like working and wrestling. It exhausts us. It's costly to us. In fact, where we get our English word agonize is from that Greek word wrestling. It's like agonizo or, you know, so, and, and so there's a type of prayer that costs us something. Our time, our efforts. I read this story. Uh, I thought I made a good point here. Young Mike, young Mike. Just a little guy in elementary school, but he was studying. One evening, he must have had a test coming up. and He got quiet for a little while, so you know, mom and dad, when they hear things are too quiet in there, they, they get a little curious. And so they kind of walk down the hall, kind of, well, well, it's a little quiet in there, it don't sound quite right, but I guess it was time for the little guy to turn it in, so he was saying his prayers. And so they checked on him, they overheard him, kneeling on the side of the bed praying, and he prayed something to this effect. Now I lay me down to rest and hope to pass tomorrow's test. If I should die before I wake, that's one less test I'll have to take. <laughs> now, someone said, what's the point of that? I got a point. You hang in there. I got a point. Uh, how about this one? We don't usually like to take tests, do we? Anybody? Not, not normally, do we? But, you know, spiritually speaking, history changing. Victorious breakthrough prayers often do test our faith, our endurance, our love. How much do you love them? How much do you love them? Unwilling to let go. Our resolve. Some give up. Don't know how close they are to a breakthrough. Our, we're tested. And our willingness to sacrifice. What do you mean sacrifice? Our time. Our comfort. Our effort. Our good feelings. What do you mean good feelings? If you're going to pray and cry out for a nation, for a family, for a lost community, after a while you feel good when finally you got your little kingdom, everything's going well. I'm feeling good now. Everyone's sane and no one's sick and the kids are doing well. And I just want to, I want to rest. But when God begins to give you a burden for someone else or for a nation that's lost or for a community where the churches are struggling, then it means I have to enter into that burden and enter into that pain and weep with those that are weeping. It means my good feeling sometimes has to be sacrificed that I might enter into the battle for someone else's soul and someone else's health and someone else's marriage and someone else's... We're learning this, that there is a part of prayer that is calling for self-denial, for us to be able to set other temporal things aside and step out of that comfort zone and give ourselves again and again. And if He calls us to turn the plate over, we turn it over. And if He calls us in the middle of the night just to lift up that, that, that kid that drives you nuts down at the end of the street, but you know the parents are, are crazy and they need prayer and they need Jesus. And if He calls, and just wake up, just pray for them, just weep for them, just cry out that God will somehow let you talk to them. God will do something that will give you a door. But, but oh, it'll cost something to be this type of prayer person. That's what I'm saying. You pay little, you'll get little. We see this. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. There's so much here I can only cover what I can. Verse 4. Verse 4. All right, we see the word in prayer. We see this prayer has, has, has a passion to it. And he looks to the Lord. And he's willing to deny himself and sacrifice in his own being to see it. But now in verse 4, I notice, number one, he, there's a confession of God's greatness. Now, verse 5, you're going to see the confession of the people's need. But he starts out, and he's got it right. He's got it in order here. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God. you got to know this God. Amen? Amen? And I confessed. The first thing he confessed before he got to the sin of the people, he confessed the greatness of his God. O oh Lord, the great and awesome God. Our God is an awesome God, isn't He? who keeps His covenant of love or mercy with all who love Him and obey His commands. The confession of God's great character, of His greatness. Mountain moving comes not by looking at 
the size of the difficulty, but the greatness of our God. It's hard to move a mountain when I'm being overwhelmed by the size of it and the smell of it and the bad report of it. But when I fix my eyes on Jesus, when I begin to look at the greatness and the goodness and the faithfulness of my God, things come into perspective. We see Daniel in this verse 4. He's focusing on God's character. His words are describing a God who is great and faithful to keep His promises. A God who loves His people and gives them His Word so that they can obey that Word and enjoy the blessing of their God. He's crying out and declaring this is a God who is merciful and willing to forgive and restore all who would come to Him and repent. He's beginning to look at the situation not through the size and the challenge and the rubble and the defeat, but he's lifting up his eyes beyond those hills of adversity. And he's looking at the living God who is great and mighty, holy and awesome. He's seeing by faith the greatness and the glory of God. And that helps a person to pray. That helps a person have a greater confidence and courage and a certainty as they pray. It helps us in the time of our need to get a proper perspective of things while it increases our ability to really believe that God will, that God shall, that the answer is closer than you can believe. Daniel is magnifying the greatness of God. Number one, he magnifies the power of God. He says, oh God, you are great and awesome. He says, oh God, your power is fully able to do this. The nation's been laid waste for over 70 years. The temple is torn down. The people have been in bondage. But if you say it's going to be rebuilt, it will be rebuilt. If you say the city and the nation will once again know your glory, they will know your glory. Regardless of how it looks, regardless of how overwhelming things seem, oh God, I'm not being sucked into that. I'm fixing my eyes on you and I'm seeing you high and lifted up and I'm recognizing you are great and an awesome God. And that's the God you serve, ladies and gentlemen. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, it might have an ugly smell, it might have an intimidating look, but I declare to you, Jesus Christ is able to save and heal and deliver. He'll give you a good night of sleep tonight if you come to Him. He'll forgive your sin if you come to Him. He'll heal that situation. He'll restore that broken. Jesus is alive and well, and He's doing today what He did a thousand, two thousand years ago. He magnifies the power of God. So when you pray, don't get, get caught up on the negative. Lift your eyes and let your faith be strengthened. And recognize, oh God, nothing can hinder you from fulfilling your promise. Your arm is not too short. You are able to do everything you said you would do. Nations can't stop you. Kings cannot resist you, and circumstances cannot hinder the working of your mighty plan. Oh, Lord, great and awesome, who keeps His covenant. Good thing He keeps His covenant. If He wasn't faithful and He was just mighty, it wouldn't do us a lot of good, would it? I know a lot of people that are able, but they're not willing. I know a lot of people that can do, but they choose not to do. But this God that we serve, He's not only able, He is willing, and He is faithful. That's the next line. He magnifies the faithfulness of God. He says, you're faithful to your covenant in a year and in an age where you don't know who to trust. And people say one thing and do another thing. You put your hope in a company and some joker sells it out from under you and you lose your pension. Oh, you know the world we live in. It's a fallen world. It's a deceitful world. But we serve a God that is yea is yea and is nay is nay. That you can trust His Word. You can stand on His promise. If He said He's going to bless you, He's going to bless you. If He says He's going to provide for you, He will provide for you. You can go to sleep at night. You can rest in the Lord because Your God is a faithful God. Your God is a great God, and He's a loving God, and He's a compassionate God. He's saying, oh God, you keep your covenant, your word, and your promises. We can trust them, and you're completely and consistently dependable. Oh, friends, the rest and the peace we have because we serve the one who is faithful. Can you say amen? You're faithful. Because you're faithful to your word. 
I know we can be restored. Because you're faithful to your word, I know that life can be mended. Because you're faithful to your word, I know that thing can be uprooted. Because you're faithful to your word, I know your power cannot be resisted by that lie and that deception nor that rebellion. For you said so long ago, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, if they would reject their wicked ways and turn from those things that cause their problem and seek your face, you said you'd hear and you said you'd heal. And you said you'd restore. Oh, God. And because you're faithful, if we do that, you'll do that. Hallelujah. He prays effectively because he doesn't allow the circumstance to overwhelm his faith. The bad report to take away his confidence. The long, long journey it's been. The years of desolation. The years of... He doesn't allow that. To steal his confidence. No, 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 no. But he looks to the Lord. He says, God, we're not trying to do this in our strength. God, I didn't make this up. I found it in the book. I'm not chasing after a word from my own heart. I'm chasing after what you have declared. That makes a big difference, folks. I'm not believing for something I've made up in my brain. I'm not asking for this or that. But I'm praying, oh God, it is written, Lord. And you are able and you are faithful. And you are loving and you are kind. Faithful to what? A covenant of love and mercy. Aren't you glad it's a covenant of love and mercy? (laughs) Where would we be if the God we serve was not great in love and rich in mercy? Ephesians 2 and 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, and because of His great love for us, He made us alive when we were dead. He found us when we were strange. He gave us mercy when we deserve judgment. I thank the Lord this morning that He's a God of mercy and He's a God of love and He's a God of grace. How about you? Because, see, as soon as you want to get back into this thing, as soon as you want to get restored, as soon as you want to get revived, you see, and God is faithful and God is able. You know the next trick of the devil? You're not worthy. I know I'm not. (laughs) But He's a God of mercy. Praise the Lord. He's not just faithful to the perfect because that we're all out of luck. I mean, we're out of this thing. Amen? We might forget it. But the God that is able and the God that is faithful is a God of rich mercy and love. That means He's talking to me. Tell your neighbor, He's talking to you. He's talking to you. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, oh. Because you're praying and you're praying, the next thing the devil says, you're not worthy. You're not worthy of that healing. You're not worthy of that promotion. You're not worthy. Oh, I'm not worthy of anything. I'm, I'm worthy of hell. But God, hey, hey, glory be to God. Amen. I'm, I'm in this thing on mercy. I got no shame in that, folks. I'll confess it. Amen. Mercy from start to finish. Grace, grace, grace. Whew. On my best day, I wasn't worthy. Hallelujah. He confessed the greatness of God. And then, and I'm, I'm, I'm speeding this up, so just hang with me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to super speed here. And, and then he confesses the conditions and need of the people. This is important. He identifies with the people. There's so much here. It would take another sermon or two. He, he identifies with the people. He confesses the sin. You see that throughout this, this, this um, chapter. He accepts the consequences. And he appeals to God for mercy. He says, God, we're not praying. Because we're righteous. We're praying because you are full of mercy. You see? That's important. And he confesses. Listen, folks. Confession is hard on our flesh. But it's so liberating to the soul. Hard on the flesh. I don't like to say I was wrong. I don't like to say forgive me. I blew it. That's hard. That flesh don't like that, folks. We'll make up new names for it. Amen? Oh, we'll justify it. Amazing. We don't like that. You don't like it. We're all made out of the same stuff, so don't look holy out there. I know you're better than that. If we were all that good, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 wouldn't be in the book. I mean, he's writing to Christians. 1 John, that first chapter, verses 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. He's writing to church folk. If we, if we claim we got it all made and we never missed the mark, 
only one we're fooling is ourselves. The truth's not in us. Because we, we, we blow it. We get impatient. We get grumbly. We zig when we should have zagged. But thank the Lord, there is a remedy. What is it? Confession. Don't deny it. If we confess our sins, sometimes we're good at confessing someone else's sins. Amen? See what they did? You know that? No, no, no. I confess my own sin. Amen? <laughs> uh, you can laugh. It'll probably do you good. But anyway. If we confess our sins, stop blaming the daughter-in-law. Confess your sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. And He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we want to ignore that part of it, but you can't ignore it. And Daniel did a whole lot. He identified, he was a holy man, but he identified with the sin of the people. And he said, we have, we have, we have. Lord, we don't deserve, we have. You're full of mercy. You're full of compassion. And he confessed, we rejected your word. We, 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 we didn't listen to the prophet. We broke your covenant. And that's important. Because listen, real humility and sincere honesty and a brokenness before the Lord. He's near the broken. He dwells near the broken and the contrite. You see, Daniel was broken hearted by what he saw and by what he knew. The city and the temple and the people, they're backslidden and the glory had departed. And sometimes the sincere intercession of just one person can begin to turn things around in a family, in a church, in a nation, in a community. The prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. is powerful and effective. And the good thought here is God doesn't have to wait for the entire nation to repent or cry out for mercy. He'll start with one person that will hear and that will believe and really cry out to God and really draw near to God on behalf of. And from that one will come a remnant that also feel that burden. And they'll confess and humble themselves. And churches are changed when that happens. Families are changed when that happens. How many families have you seen? They were backslidden for 20 years, but then one mother or one husband finally just, just they said, enough is enough, we know better, we know better. And they just came, just one. And years later, the whole family, then the grandkids. From one, you can change history. But these kind of prayers are humble prayers. And they're prayers that are honest with God. So he prays and he pleads. Listen to this pleading. Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions. For your sake, O Lord, look on favor. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see. We don't make these requests, verse 18, because we're righteous, but because your mercy, your full mercy. Verse 19, Lord, forgive! When you pray, pray like you mean it. I've seen churches, getting off the notes, I've seen some churches been a mess for 30 years. And I talk to anyone from that church, never once will I hear anyone taking responsibility. They blamed everybody. They blamed, you know, pastors from 1950. They blamed, you know, the, uh, the, the town council. But then I've seen churches that pretty much the, church, the rest of the place, the own district said, I don't have a lot of hope for that group. But when you get a remnant that said, Lord, forgive us. However, we got to this place, we're at this place. But God, you're full of mercy and compassion. Lord, breathe life again. Breathe love again. Build again. Amen? That's what it takes. You've seen that in our own lives. How many marriages ready to crumble, falling apart, then finally said, we say, Uncle, Lord, forgive us. We made a mess of things and we, we should have known better. But Lord, Lord, we're coming. We're, we're coming. We're going to humble our hearts. And I said, just Lord, forgive us. You're a God of a second chance. Give right here, Lord. Forgive us and we'll start doing our best to get in order and to get things going. And there he is. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hear and act. For your sake, oh, God, don't delay. Because of your city and the people that bear your name. And while I was speaking and praying, 
confessing my sin and the sin of my people, making my request. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, oh, the angel Gabriel, he shows up. Daniel, I heard the answer. God answers. This is what happens when God answers. He got more than even what he asked for. And it's too much to go into. It'll take a whole other sermon. The answer is amazing. But number one, the angel comes and reveals the answer. And if you'll seek God like you mean it, God will reveal His will to your life. God will give you direction for your life. God will give you wisdom for your life. If you'll mean business and wait on God. He revealed His will. The king released the people. Not long after that, king signs the document. That's it. I'm sending you home. Go back. I'll give you money to help you start the job. Can you imagine that? Breakthrough came. Answer was revealed. The people were released. And God began to restore and rebuild. And the temple that was totally laid waste was rebuilt. The nation that was laughed at, they were obscure, like no hope for them. Even they couldn't even believe it. It was rebuilt. And the glory they thought was real glory when Solomon was there, nothing compared to when Jesus Christ, King of kings and the Lord of lords, he walked into that temple, called it his father's house. Oh, my goodness. You don't know what God can do if you really give yourself to serious prayer. You don't know how God, He'll use you to change history if we'll follow the pattern and give God our best. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to pray and then we'll open the altar. Stand with me, please, and we'll pray our final prayer. If you're here today and God's been dealing with your heart about something, don't put it off. Respond to what God's speaking to you. It might be to let something go. It might be to start something new. It might mean to make peace with a brother. That there, it might, whatever the Lord is speaking to your heart, understand that's the word of His grace and the word of His mercy trying to call you to a place where He can bless you and He can work in your life. So respond to the Lord. Respond to the Lord. He's good and He's faithful and He, want, he wants to bless you. But folks, as believers, let's follow the pattern of Daniel. Let's say, God, use us to change history in our own families, in our communities, in our churches, in our nation. Lord, use us to pray through. Use us to enter into Your burden. To really cooperate with You, Lord. That Your will would be done in the earth. That more than just thinking about it or singing about it, we will see Your power and Your mighty arm working Your wonders in our lives. Father, we thank You for the example of Daniel. And Lord, we pray that You'd help each one of us to become more sensitive to You and more willing to give of ourselves to see Your will done in the earth. Father, use us to change history. Use us. Speak to our hearts. Touch our lives this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to be inspired by the pattern of this man of prayer, Daniel. Help us, Lord, to learn from Your Word how we can enter into a much more effective prayer life. That You can use us and we'll see breakthroughs in our families. We'll see breakthroughs in our community. That, Lord, You can put nations on our heart and we'll give ourselves to enter into that burden to lift up those missionaries, to weep and pray and believe You for the nation You place within us. And God, if You're speaking to our hearts, we will no longer ignore it. We will no longer put it on a shelf as we're afraid what someone else will think if we respond to it. But oh God, give us a sensitive heart. Give us a heart that is quick to respond to Your voice to respond to your wooing and your calling, to respond to that thing that you are making personal and clear. Father, don't keep us like we are. Bring us closer. Bring us into a deeper place of fruitfulness and productivity for eternity. And now I pray, Father, if there be anyone here today, they're, they're, they're not quite sure where they stand with You. They're not quite sure if their heart is right with You. Maybe there's someone here today and they just need prayer. They're going through a rough time. And they just need someone to pray with them. To help them through the heat of battle. 
Father, I pray as these altars are open and we begin to worship you, that you would draw them and you would answer them and you would touch them. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we lift you up in our praise, release your power, touch your people, and work sovereignly in many, many lives this morning. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, let's worship the Lord. If you need prayer, come. Whatever your need is, come. If you just need to respond and call on the Lord, then come. And let's believe God together.